The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, New York Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, and on today's show, we are going to talk a little bit about the uh, about the general manager and coach hiring cycle. We're also going to spend some time talking about the uh, the impact of of not having a true NFL combine this year on the scouting process and how that might uh, might impact the the upcoming NFL draft and and here to help help me do that is a good friend of the show and director of the Scouting Academy Dan Hatman Dan how you been how you doing how's everybody doing well doing well thanks for having me today Hey, no problem, no problem. So let's uh let let's get into this and and just so so people know um as we record this, it's it's Friday morning. The only head coach opening th- that remains is is the one in Houston. So uh you know, so we've got I think it's uh 6 out of 7 that that have been filled. And and I just, you know, let let me start with a general question about the about the the coach hirings i know this is something you know you you love to track this kind of stuff and you love process kind of stuff and 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 did you see i mean it's pretty apparent that that there's that that there's a type that that nfl owners and nfl teams are are looking for at this point am i right you know the the younger coach the the first time coach you know maybe Everybody's still looking for the for the, the their own Sean McVay, I guess. Is that is that fair to say? I do think that that changed a lot of how uh, this got looked at. You know, historically, coaches looked at tenure. We had a lot of head coaches that would get second, sometimes even third shots. Really leaning towards the experience side of things. And not to say that we didn't have younger coaches before, but since Sean, and obviously there was concern with his age going in, how can he keep up? Can he do this job? And then for them to be a Super Bowl team so soon afterwards, and then owners started 
descending on his tree, so to speak. You know, the Matt LaFleurs in Green Bays. Obviously, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. Um, his compatriot there, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, and now his tree. It all stems, you know, from the Shanahan-Kubiak uh, lineage. But as we've seen that stuff move, and then the success, obviously Green Bay, number one seed, going to host the NFC Championship game here. You know, that's been successful. San Francisco had their Super Bowl run a year ago. And so not only are these coaches who are young um, going out and having success, but having success in those games where owners care, you know, going to championship games, going to the Super Bowl. And so, yes, I think it's going to continue uh, for a while when you look at the schematic philosophies, it had leaned a lot on the offensive side. And there's some logic to that in terms of building a consistent place for your quarterback, your most important player. If you're constantly changing coordinators, it's not always a good thing. So owners have been leaning offensive because then you know you have stability there. Even if you lose a defensive coordinator to a head coaching job, uh, you're not losing the person who's working with the quarterback. Um, but now that we've had kind of this, this offensive movement, uh, where more of these coaches are putting shifts and motions, running wide zone play action, boot concepts, flooding the outside third, um, you know, and there's different personnel tendencies, you know, San Francisco goes a lot heavier with fullbacks and tight ends. The Rams go with a lot more 12 personnel and condensed formations, but a lot of similar play calling from there. Well, then there's a defensive shift, right? So now that offenses are moving in a direction, defenses have to adjust. Well, that's where your, you know, Brandon Staley's and Robert Salas, who just got head coaching jobs in this cycle. Now they were coordinators with those teams, San Francisco and the Rams respectively, and had to defend those things all the time. So now, you know, there's this ebb and flow or now you're getting better at defending those things. Those guys become interesting um to ownership and so yeah as long as as long as they keep going out there and having success i think owners are going to keep um poaching from that that lineage you just i mean it's a generic question but but this trend you know with with the younger with the younger guys and you know with the you know, Joe Judge was a bit of an exception, although he was a younger guy, because he's not necessarily a one side of the ball coach, which, to be honest with you, I like. I, I'm still a fan of the, of the CEO style head coach, the guy who doesn't have his, you know, his, his face in a play card the entire game and who's really more focused on one side of the ball than he is on his entire team. And I guess the, the generic question is, is is this a trend, you know, this hiring trend, is this one that, that you like, that you approve of? Well, I age is an interesting thing, right? Because what you're looking for is expertise. And expertise is the practical ability to apply knowledge. And that can come with experience, but it's not mandated by experience. So you can be, you know, 30 years in the game, but if you don't, know how to apply the knowledge to where things are moving, you're going to be behind the times. And you can also be not experienced enough to get there. So I, I think what it comes down to is not an arbitrary number of like, is this person old enough 
or even experienced enough. I, I don't think we look at hiring the right way. I don't think we're asking the right questions systematically um, across the board because, again, what you're trying to understand is does this individual, do they have a vision for what is to come? You know, when you talk about the coaches that are held up to a high standard, those that have had a long track record, it's adaptability. It's not that they do one thing forever and ever. I mean, I, I'm assuming we can all agree that the 20-year run by the Patriots here has been something that every other, every other franchise, every other fan base would aspire to. And when you look across those 20 years, there is not a consistent, well, they only ran this offense or they only ran this defense. It was constant adaptability in personnel and scheme. And so... Again, if someone can understand to you know steal the Gretzky line where the puck is going, and then knows how to apply core football tenants to that, that's what we're really looking for. And whether or not you're 35 or 65, I think it's that ability more so than anything else because people will follow credibility and competency. I, I borrow that line from Lewis Riddick. Leaders are credible and competent, right? People in this profession want to be led by someone that's going to put them in the right positions to be successful. That's what ultimately they care about. So being a rah-rah, being quiet, there's a bunch of different ways to lead. You can be really loud and boisterous, but if you're not credible and competent, it fades quickly. You know, you can be really, really cerebral, but if you're not credible and competent, no one's going to follow you. And so this intersection of understanding core tenets of the game, having experience, knowing how to lead position groups, but also knowing where things are going, staying at the tip of the spear, being adaptable. It's a weird intersection. It's so multidimensional that I don't, I can't use one rubric and say like, this is good enough by itself to get you there. Right. It's, it's interesting. And, you know, there is no one size fits all. There's no one right way or wrong way to do any of this. As you were talking, though, I was thinking about the Giants and I was thinking about Joe Judge. And one of Judge's things that he always says is adapt or die. He said, you know, and, and that was one of the things I thought that that was really interesting about his rookie year is how he handled all of the, the things with the COVID-19 and, and, and all the zoom meetings and all the changes and, and all of the, the things that, that were so different. And, and I was thinking as you were talking about also Pat Shermer, his two years with the giants. And I liked Pat Shermer as a guy. I thought he's a, he's by and large, he's a good coach, but I always thought that that Pat Shermer was a guy who didn't have a vision. He didn't you talked about the tip of of the sphere and and knowing where the league is going and where the trends are going and and it always used to bother me with Pat that he would say things like, "Well, that's just how NFL teams do things." You know, that's that that's how things are done. That's what NFL teams do and that that didn't to me that didn't imply vision it just implied i come to work every day and this is what i know how to do and and that's what we're going to do and and i think a lot of what you're driving at is is 
guys have to know not only what's being done now, but where leagues are going. And and I'm just curious with, with all of that sort of preamble, you know, as we talk about Joe Judge, what did you think of Judge's first year with the Giants? I thought it was better than better than I expected. I think that the the Graham hire was a home run and the way that that defensive unit played uh, for Patrick and obviously them working hard to keep him off the head coaching market uh, clearly reflects what they see in terms of value in him. Um, You know, I'm a little bit leery on the, the Jason Garrett side because I don't see the offense being as adaptable. They're still relatively static. I think they have, more pieces skill-wise that you could help put into position to be successful to take a little pressure off the offensive line um, versus hoping the offensive line holds up long enough for those playmakers to get there. But overall, those are things that all of it gets measured. You know, all of it becomes a core factor because when you're at that level, every higher it's going to have a level of delegation. You're going to put something in their hands that they're going to have to run and execute on. And you're supervising, you know, you're not going to have your hands doing every one of those. And so this is another area where it gets so difficult is do you make good hires? Can you get to, you know, get to those people that you want? Do they want to come work for you? Can you keep them? Um, But also, also can you get out of a mistake quickly you know instead of having the sunk cost fallacy of like well we'll just grind it out and stick with it and hopefully someday it turns around like uh there's another you know coach coming out of the new england tree and brian flores in miami right and obviously they had a a heck of a run this year very much unexpected relative to where they've been the last few years and he's made a lot of changes to his coaching staff his first year coaching staff to his second hasn't stayed the same his second to his third hasn't stayed the same like he it, he has a vision for what he needs to move forward, and if that person isn't going to be the one that gets him there, he moves on. And I think it's one of those things when people looked at Belichick, you know, he did this more on the player side, but he wouldn't hang on to somebody just because they spent a lot to get him. You know, it was always, is this good enough? No, okay, then move on. Let's not get emotional about this. And I'm interested in how Flores is approaching his coaching staff because he is trying to perfect that staff and get those things lined up just how he needs them. He'll be on his thing as third offensive coordinator. Again, I'm not preaching to turn it over every year, but it's if it's not working, can you get ahead of that? Um, and that's going to be a question for me for Judge moving forward is, is he going to lock into – you know, I made these decisions. These are my people and I'm going to ride or die with them. Or is he going to be looking to constantly improve everywhere so that next year they can make the next jump and the year after that they can make the next jump? Uh, because the, the league set up for, for everybody to go eight and eight. I mean, that's where the league rules are at. So I, to me, the, the coaches that are special, the ones that can, their processes build those extra wins that put them from 8-8 eight and eight to 10-6, and six, and that's when you're in the playoffs. Now you're in the dance. Interesting, interesting. You know, the one thing about Jason Garrett is I wonder, you know, you talked about emotions, and general managers always talk about taking emotions out of the decisions. But I also wonder, 
you know, these are the New York Giants that we're talking about, and and it may not be, you know, on the Joe Judge side, but when it comes to Jason Garrett, I wonder if there's some organizational, you know, emotional attachment to uh, to Jason Garrett, and and I wonder if that you know complicates you know Joe Judge's ability maybe to to move on if that's something that he wants to do. It's an incredibly loyal organization, incredibly loyal organization, and they don't they don't turn people over frequently. Having spent time there means something to them. Um, you know, you're part of that that family, so to speak. I, I think I definitely think all those things can play in, and ultimately, these are the. I guess when people look at these decisions from an outside perspective, we see head coaches up there doing press conferences all the time. Occasionally we see a general manager doing a press conference. And I think there's this assumption that they get to operate fully independent of any oversight with whatever budget they want to acquire whoever they want, whenever they want. And it's not even close to the case. That interplay between those roles and ownership is everything. What what contracts are they willing to buy out? What cash are they willing to put down? What staff movement can you make? What people are untouchable? You know, when you walk in as a head coach or a GM, they don't clear out the building and let you put everybody at, you know, fill up every desk with one of your people. You know, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 200 people when you think about video, equipment, medical, trainers, strength coaches, coaches, scouts. I mean, there's a tremendous number of people in the building, and it's not like they clear out every one of those and say, okay, staff the entire thing in the vision that you want. You know, the coaching staff, you may get a chance to bring in all of your people, but everywhere else, most of the time, those people are are there. They're going to ride out your regime whether or not you're successful or not. And so you're not moving nearly as many pieces as you think. You are now having to manage people that you didn't hire, bring them along to your vision. So, yeah, I I do think those things are underexplored in the space. You know, is when a a person is let go or a person is kept, chances are there was a recommendation made by decision makers to the owner. But at that level, it may actually be the owner's call. You know, the one hire on a little bit of a different topic when we talk about these coaches, the one hire in this cycle that is vastly different, that stands out like a sore thumb, and and that I'm really, really curious about in terms of of how it's going to work long-term, is the Jacksonville Jaguars going out and, and hiring Urban Meyer, who's not only a college coach, but the highly successful college coach, the big name, you know, the guy that that you had to recruit to take this job. I mean, just, you know, your your thoughts on on Jacksonville and and Urban Meyer and, and maybe that model, which I guess is, you know, Nick Saban tried it and other guys have tried it and it doesn't always work. So just your thoughts on on teams, you know, going out and and trying and trying that way. 
Well, the positives are you're looking at someone that program built at Bowling Green, program built at Utah, obviously took over a, a Florida program that had success with Spurrier and kept that going. Again, took a program that had been uh, obviously a top in Ohio State under Jim Trestle and brought that back um, after some some scandal. So that's the positive is that he's gone to a number of places. He's found success. He's team built with many resources. He's team built with fewer resources. Uh, that's a positive. Second positive, he got the ownership there to invest in things. He's going to have a better staff budget than his predecessors. They're going to invest in facilities and equipment and things that they didn't have before that his predecessors didn't have. So the leverage that he had in this search is going to, he's going to have more than anybody else has ever had in Jacksonville. Now, the negatives are he's walked away from his last two jobs for health slash family reasons and retirement. So how many years is he going to put into this? You know, is when before he just gets back to a place where his health isn't there or the family needs aren't there, I assume he discussed that with those people. Otherwise, you know, Jacksonville wouldn't have brought that on. But if I was advising Jacksonville, we would have had to flesh that out in depth before signing off on something like that. So my guess is it's urban. There's most likely a succession plan. I would think at least, I mean, if things are going well and he doesn't want to ride it out for the next six to 10 years, who's he handing that baton off to? I would hope came up in these conversations. Uh, his last two stops with Florida and Ohio state, the brand of the program, the research, the program, they just had better players than almost every other program. Um, so that's going to put a lot of onus on the evaluation staff, which is going to be led by Trent Balky. It sounds like former Niners executive who was actually in Jacksonville all of last year underneath Dave Caldwell, but now is going to take over as general manager in a coach centric model. You know, that staff is going to have to supply him with great players. And then there's been, you know, scandal at the last couple stops. There was issues at Florida, there was issues at Ohio State. So can he can he manage this NFL team build, which is going to be different than a recruiting-centric model? I don't think anybody's doubting his acumen, X's and O's, and putting players in the right positions, but that's only going to be one of his jobs. Right. Hey, what I want to do right now, Dan, I actually you mentioned Trent Balky, and I want to switch gears to talking about some of the GM, you know, front office moves. But let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors here at SB Nation. Then we'll come back. We'll do that. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, about the the scouting process of of draft prospects as well. All right, Giants fans, we're back here on the Valentine's Views podcast. Ed Valentine talking with Scouting Academy Director Dan Hatman. And before the break, we were talking about uh, some of the coaching hires. Let's switch gears, talk about the, uh, the the front office moves a little bit. I think there were actually seven um, head general manager hires made by NFL teams. And Dan, just your your thoughts. You know, I know you track a lot of that stuff every year. Did anything surprise you? Any hires? Any any names that that popped up that got jobs? You know, a, as GMs in this cycle that that really caught you off guard. So the Texans moved first. They brought in Nick Casario. They've been on a hunt for him for about eighteen months. So can't say that that was surprising. 
I don't know why they brought in Corn Ferry to to lead a search while they seemingly had a simultaneous search or, or you know process going with Nick, but they you know Houston finally gets the person they've been chasing for a while. Um, Terry Fontenot, who's been who the Falcons hired, has been a really big name the last few years. Um, obviously, the Saints have been a consistently competitive team. Uh, he's held in very high esteem, so not surprised he got as many interviews this year and obviously uh, landed an opportunity. Scott Fitter, who's going to take over in Carolina. Again, he's been on the, the um, circuit, so to speak, in terms of GM interviews for a few years here. Uh, found a great fit in Carolina, so not surprised there. George Payton, longtime Minnesota executive, um, tremendous roster that they've built there. Again, held in high esteem. He's turned down some jobs, turned down some interviews, trying to find the right fit. So he takes over. Um, you know, we're seeing just saw Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew reunite with Ron Rivera in Washington. Uh, so that's not surprising. The brand new name uh, this year was Brad Holmes, uh, the Rams college director, who's now going to be the general manager of the Detroit Lions. The Rams model has fascinated me for a few years here. They're willing to be different. They're willing to, to take risk. They're willing to try uh, out new concepts and it doesn't have a hundred percent hit rate. Nobody does, but that's been, that's been a quality team build, you know, and they've been able to acquire really good players in a variety of ways, whether that be through trades, through free agency, through the draft, um, so I'm not surprised to see someone from that Ram system get a shot. There's a lot of people that are integral down there. Uh, obviously, Brad's the one that's coming out this year, but Brian Zanders, um, Taylor Moten, um, James Gladstone, J.W. Jordan, Ted Monago, Ray Agnew. I mean, there's a lot of people. That, that Ram stack's got a lot of uh, quality minds in it. So, again, not surprised to see somebody come out. I think the one, and we talked about him before, that I guess would be surprising, uh, so to speak, would be Trent Bulky because from that press conference that they just had, they seem to make it clear like Trent and Urban did not have an existing relationship that was in-depth prior to this pairing. Uh, there was some crossover when Trent was scouting Alex Smith out of Utah um, years ago, but you know, the way they seem to talk is this is not like they've been buddies for a while and planning this. Trent was there. Urban met with them. That was seemingly recommendation from inside the building that they're going to go with. I'm always leery on these these forced marriages. I think models that work, owner has to pick their person. I don't care if it's a head coach or a GM. Owner has to pick their person. And then let that person hire the next one. So if you are going to hire the head coach, that's the most important. That's fine. You can do that. Then let the head coach hire their GM. If you're going to go the opposite way and the GM is going to be your person, that's fine. Let the GM hire their coach. Uh, these forced marriages, there is almost no history outside of Seattle of that working. Um, they just, there's so much opportunity for fracture when they don't have that pre-existing relationship built in. Uh, does it mean it can't work? No, it just, it's just, we're just talking odds. There's not a lot of systematic storyline here to say that those things work well. And, and bulky, you know, from his days in San Francisco, 
wasn't always successful in in forging relationships with the coaches that that worked for him either. So uh, to me, it's a it's a really curious one. Yeah, there, that San Francisco, you know, with him and John Harbaugh, um, Jim Harbaugh, Jesus, sorry, uh, having to, you know, split up, and they then brought in Chip Kelly for a year, and then ultimately. Uh, Jed York and the, the the brain trust there in San Francisco went out and they ran a, a very interesting search. You know, we're talking about GM head coach searches. The San Francisco model has intrigued me since that time because they brought a pair. They wanted to bring two people that were a unit and that unit was going to come together. They were going to come in together. They're going to leave together. That was important to them. And I I believe in that I, that concept of we're going to bring these two. Whenever you're going to move on from one, you might as well move on from both and allow two people to come in with a shared vision and tell them from the beginning, if I have to get rid of one, I'm getting rid of both. You eliminate opportunity for people to save their own tail and their staff by undercutting the other person, which I know everybody's puppy dogs and rainbows at the beginning, but when it gets real, and I've lived in some buildings that had some turmoil and got real, when it gets real, the people at the top, not only are they looking out for themselves, but they built a staff. And that staff and their ability to pay for their home and put food in their kids' mouths all stems from being employed. So you start looking out for you and your staff and your side of the ball, and you might be willing to throw the other side under the bus if that's allowed. And so ownership, if they don't want that, they have to systematically stop that. They have to make it clear from the jump, I will not pick sides. If you guys fail, you fail together. If I have to get rid of one, I get rid of both. I, I just, if you build an opportunity for people to pipeline information differently, to back channel, to negotiate, to position themselves, to save their butts, we're all human. They're going to do that. Like this idea that a human being is not going to look out for themselves seems to be a flawed concept because I don't care how much acumen you have in anything. At the end of the day, you're usually going to take care of yours first. Yeah, you're going to you're going to try to you're going to try to stay employed. That's that's for sure. Dan, let's let's switch gears here a little bit. You know, let's talk a little bit about the about the NFL draft and about the scouting process and about all of the changes that are going to take place this year because of the fact that there isn't going to be a true NFL combine. When you look at when you look at and and I don't think we know yet exactly how any of the regional events, how the pro days, you know, how all of that is, is going to be structured from a team building, from a, from a, a the perspective of going out and, and, and scouting these players and learning what you need to know. How much is not having the combine and, and having this all broken up? How much does that complicate the situation for teams going out and, and scouting these players, you know, in, in a solid, you know, accurate manner. Well, we're going to have to get creative. This is something we're capable of doing as an industry. Yes. Having one event standard field, standard protocols across the board allows for greater consistency. There's no doubt. 
Um, and so the data collected at each of these regional places, we're going to have to understand that because the environments of those places probably are not going to be identical, there's going to be some variance there. It's no different than when you take in pro-day information versus combine information any other year. Uh, most teams build a modifier for those things depending on the surfaces. So we're going to get to that information in some way. Uh, by all, for all intents and purposes, shifting a lot of the burden to either schools to open up and allow for this under the guise of it'll be better for them because their players will get drafted. Um, most of these players are, are working out and getting prepared for this at facilities that are located in the southern part of the country, Southern California, Arizona, Texas, Florida, what have you. Uh, to me, it stands to reason that in those four states, if you were to set up set up things at the NFL facilities there, you know, the Cowboys facility, the Cardinals facility, the Rams and Chargers facility, the, you know, Jacksonville or your Miami facility, because Tampa has the Super Bowl. So I don't know, you know, quite how much their stuff's going to be strained. But um, regardless, there's facilities from the NFL teams and all those places. Like To me, it can be done in some way, reducing the number. The combine itself you know, we've seen this. I talk about the Rams and they're doing things differently. The Rams stopped sending all of their people to all of these events because the quality of the filming coming out of it, all these drills are taped. All the measurement things are taped. We're going to get pictures of the players other than the player going through the medical process, which clearly is going to be the, the biggest driver of, of why things are still going to go on the medical process, and then if you care about reading body language in the interviews, which I'm not saying you shouldn't, but if, if that's a priority for you, those are going to be hard to replicate in a Zoom call or what have you. But so much of this stuff can be done from afar. And again, we've started to see teams recognize that and realize that instead of sending my staff to go sit around all day to watch this, your video department can take, so player comes in, you know, defensive lineman number seven, he's going to go through these, you know, the measurement pieces, the drill pieces, the, the testing pieces, what have you. They're going to cut all those things and stitch them together. You're going to get a video file, you know, 20 or so minutes. It's going to be that player's entire combine experience. Because everything they do eventually really only comes down to the number of minutes, right? right. And we're just scaling that across 350 players. So if I'm going to get a video file that has their entire combine experience stitched together, boom, 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 in a matter of that, you know, few a few minutes, I can still study their entire combine experience, or in this case, regional pro day, and put all that together. Um, the things, again, that you lose are the people that are responsible for moving the players to and from things, those group leaders which is all kind of managed by uh, NFS, but the scouts that are running those get some inside information you get to see how a player, you know, reacts in between drills, how they carry themselves. Are they on time? Hey, we're going to meet at 845 in the lobby. Are they there on time? Are they ready to go? Um, so I'm not saying you're going to, you're, you're not going to get everything, but there are ways to get most of it out of this. I think the thing that was really hard is 
that your area scouts didn't get to go to college campuses this fall and work with their sources there to gain more information. It was a lot more Zoom calls, and I'm not saying a scout can't call up their source privately and ask things, but the nature of the the pull on everybody involved in football this year, because all the colleges were trying to keep their operations afloat and their trains running on time, they just didn't have the time that they used to trying to put out all the fires that they were going through. So if you don't have really robust relationships, you probably weren't getting your source on the phone for a private one-off the same way. And all the stuff coming on the Zoom call, it's all being taped. And basically for public record, you got all the teams there. Plus, so that it was very sterile information, so to speak. It was a real test this year of the depth of your scouting department and the depth of your scouting department's network. Because when you're on site in the building with the logo on your shirt, you can look people in the eye, you can usually extract enough. But in this year, when you lose all of that and you're just calling, man, you better hope that they want to help you do your job. There's there's just something, and, and it, it, it comes about in, in what I do as well. There's just something about standing in front of someone or sitting across the table and having that, that face-to-face conversation that is not as stilted or as formal, maybe as a Zoom call or just looking at film. And when, you, when you're having that conversation, you know, things tend to come up you know, more so than they might, you know, over a video conference or something like that. I think, I think to me, that's what you miss is the kind of things that you might get, you know, out of that just sort of you know, more informal conversation. Am I right? Oh yeah, no one, no one's going to disagree with those environments. Hopefully, drawing out a bit more, a bit more. You know, even sometimes the the minutes preceding the formal interview and the minutes afterwards or another opportunity, you know, shaking hands, saying hi to people, what have you, which you're not going to replicate the same way, you know, if you're popping on and you're immediately into the, you know, the interview phase. Um, And this is this is the part that's going to increase the variance of this draft class more than we've seen in any other year that I can recall is just the things that ultimately impact the player's ability to be successful moving forward. It's not, are they athletic or not? You know, generally speaking, I think teams are pretty good at recognizing athletic ability. And I don't think we're, you're, you're missing a guy in the first round who ended up not being athletic. You know, usually you're, you're taking these guys, they're premium athletes. You know that what didn't, click is that that premium athlete didn't become a professional football player. And so ultimately trying to understand the human and who they are and why they do what they do is the biggest differentiating factor in their ability to work with your program. And so trying to draw that out in this environment is going to have, the, again, the most variance team to team. You're going to have people in situations and players where you get that done. You're going to have others where the confidence interval is probably not going to be the same in terms of your ability to get that done. And so I would not be surprised to see this year have more volatility 
in terms of hit rate than others. Interesting. It's all the whole process is going to be fascinating, Dan, and and hopefully you and I will get a chance to uh, to talk a couple more times between uh, between now and the draft. I know that uh, that you know as we sort of close up shop here. I know that uh, that you have some interesting things going on at at the scouting academy. So uh, you know, why don't you tell folks a little bit about about what you've got going on before I let you go? All right. Well, we are an online education opportunity for people that want to learn more about football, and particularly those that want to work in an evaluative space. It could be uh, via coaching, via professional scouting, via media analysis, fantasy football agency. We've worked with all types uh, over the last seven years, and we just launched a new website, a new classroom to give our students a better experience. I uh, actually just started our spring semester here a few days ago, so we got that in the works, and we're looking forward to another hiring cycle, teams hire post-draft. Uh, to date, we've had 40 of our alums go on to NFL opportunities, so we've got over 150 people in college football, and we're excited to see um, who can earn what opportunities this spring as teams, again, uh, rebuild their staffs and prepare for another year of football. All right, Dan, thank you very, very much for coming on. Giants fans, thank you for listening. Please remember, as always, subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.